Amen. Well, we are continuing our series in the book of Acts, like we had talked about. And the book of Acts is really the movement of God's people after the resurrection. So you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it's like, what, what happens after the resurrection? Well, that's where the book of Acts comes into play. And so we're going to be looking at that for a lot of weeks ahead. We're going to be in Acts 3. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to your, your Bibles to Acts 3. If you don't, it's going to be on the screens. Also, don't forget that we have Bibles by the tech booth back there if you want to borrow one. And if you don't have a Bible, just take one home That's our gift to you today. Now, as you're getting to Acts chapter 3, there's a movie out there called Miracle. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. This movie is based on the U.S. hockey team that upset the Soviet team in 1980. Now, I was not alive for this. Some of you remember it in person. But I hear it was great, one of the biggest upsets in sports history, not just hockey history, sports history, and uh, it became known as the miracle on ice, probably because of what Al Michael said to those watching as the final seconds ticked off the clock. Do you remember the quote? Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? Now, I bet everybody watching resounded with a confident, just responded with a confident yes, because something that seemed impossible had just happened. Now, when it comes to our lives, this word miracle, it's good for us to ask, like, do we actually believe in miracles? Sometimes it's good for us to just pause and really think about, like, like, do miracles actually happen in our life where we're at in today, or is that just something that's happened in the past that we read about in Scripture? When it comes to our everyday lives, it's good to ask that question. The word miracle, though, is used in a lot of different ways in our culture pertaining to many different things. Maybe you're like me. I use the word miracle when it's just like little things. So when my five-year-old eats dinner in under an hour, it's a miracle. My wife today, if, if I write a card out, like physical right, instead of a text or just acknowledgement, she would say, wow, this is a miracle today. Okay? I bought a present, so stop judging, okay? So I, she'll get something. But we, we have a lot of different examples like that. We, we use that word miracle kind of flippantly a little bit. And so really for us today, so that we're all on the same page, you really kind of have to think about, okay, what is the word miracle? What does it actually pertain to when we're looking at scripture, when we're looking at the book of Acts? And so Baker's Dictionary of Theology defines miracle in this way. Although English speakers regularly use miracle to refer to a broad range of wondrous events, that's what I was referring to. The biblical concept is limited to those not explainable solely by natural processes, but which require the direct casual agency of a supernatural being, usually God. And so when Al Michaels used the word miracles, he most likely wasn't referring to God stepping into and causing the U.S. team to win, and really he was just focusing on the impossible happening or something that very unlikely happening. But when we talk about miracles in Scripture, it's really focusing on this idea of supernatural. 
supernatural. We're not just talking about natural processes being uh, changed. We're talking about a supernatural event that goes beyond the limits of mankind. Scripture makes it very clear that God supernaturally inserts himself into our natural world. We need to get on to that, that same level today as we go through this. And, and really thinking about God coming into this world and working supernaturally, you know what God does? He, he makes his presence known. He makes his power felt. And he gives the opportunity for new life. He makes his presence known in this world. He makes his, his power felt in our lives. And then he gives opportunity for new life. And that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 3. We're, gonna, we're not going to just like argue if miracles can happen or not. We kind of have to operate on the assumption that they do happen. What we're going to see today is why they happen, what's the purpose, and then how should we respond to them? How should we respond to them? Because God is the way maker. He's no different for in Acts 3 than he is today. And so he continues to work, he continues to move, and he continues to do miracles in this world supernaturally. And so let's jump into Acts chapter 3 today, it's just starting in verse 1. Acts 3, 1 and 2. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. So right away, we see here that the everyday life of the apostles, of the disciples, haven't changed all too much. So notice here, remember, before the resurrection, they all operated on the same thing. They would go to the temple to pray, to worship. They would follow the law to the T. Then after the resurrection, guess what? They still continued to do all of that. The apostles and the disciples still continued to go to the temple and, and, and really participate in prayer services, in giving, in different aspects of Jewish worship, but with one big difference, the belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's right here in Acts chapter 3 where we're going to see two different factions of Jewish people kind of begin to grow, okay? You're going to see a huge contrast between those who don't believe in the resurrection and those who do believe in the resurrection. And that's why, again, I cannot help but stress in 1 Corinthians 15 why Paul says this is of First importance, that Christ died but then rose again three days later is vital because that is what changes everything. And so in Acts chapter 3, we're going to see this, this difference being kind of developed, and we're going to see that throughout the book of Acts, this, this difference. And so here, they're, they're continuing to worship. They're going up for prayer services. They're going to the temple, but they have belief in the resurrected King Jesus. As they're walking in, they see a man who has never walked in his life. He was lame from birth, and because of this, his family and friends would then bring him to the gate where he would then beg for money. This tells us that because of his physical condition, he was either poor or that was his way of contributing to his family in that moment. Like, hey, you can do something for our family, just go there, or he was 
poor. So you have to ask the question, why would they carry him to the gate at 3 o'clock every single day? It says each day he was put there. Why would they do that? Well, because everybody knew from Deuteronomy chapter 15 that God commands his people to what? To not harden their heart toward the poor. To not harden their heart toward the poor. This man knew the generosity of God's people. He just knew it. People knew it. If you went to the temple, if you went to the gate and you were begging, most likely you were going to receive some alms, but it wasn't always with the right heart. Usually these Jewish people were doing it probably to uh, follow the law. And so he would go there and he would receive his funds. He would receive his money each day and he would sit at the beautiful gate. Now, I know the words are really small, so some of you are like squinting and stuff. Don't worry about it. But over here where the purple is, all right, that's, that's where the, the, the beautiful gate, okay? And that's where the entrance would go into. That's kind of the Gentile courtyard out there. They weren't allowed in at this point. And then you go into the women's courtyard, and then it goes into the, the, the priest's courtyard, and then the holies of holies is that building. That's where w- only the high priest went once a year, okay? So there's kind of this buildup here, but it's right there in the purple in which you would see this lame beggar every single day asking for money, begging for money, for support, Now, what's important to note here is that I feel bad for this guy that they gave him the name Lame Beggar. I kind of wish we knew his name because he had one. Not only did he have a name, but he had a family. He had brothers, sisters. He had a mom. You see, this guy had a story. And yet all we see is this lame beggar because that's all we're seeing in here, but we really need to kind of think bigger here and and think of him as an actual person with an actual story. We don't know his name. We don't know the full story. We do know later on in Acts 4.22 because just mind you, this story doesn't end in in chapter 3, all right? This story continues on. In Acts chapter 4, verse 22, we, we read that he's actually over 40 years old. So we even know he, he's lived a long life, lame from birth. He's figured it out. He knows what to do. He has a story, and he needs a miracle if he ever wants to walk in this life. And so we continue on. Let's see what happens here. Acts 3, 3 through 6. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. I wonder if he knew who Peter and John were in this moment, because remember, everything was kind of happening here. They were a part of the way, as it's called. Uh, We don't know that yet, but that's what it's going to be called in Acts. And so I wonder if he knew exactly who they were. And he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. I like how the ESV says it. It says they they directed their gaze at him. And Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. I love the fact that Luke here points out that Peter and John looked intently at this man. There's a very big reason why they do this, or they directed their gaze at him. I wonder if Luke was saying, you know what? 
You know what was different between Peter and John? This wasn't just following the law for them. It wasn't like they were just throwing money at this guy walking by without even caring about this guy's story or about who this guy was. In fact, they looked at him intently or directed their gaze at him because that's what Jesus did when Jesus was with them. When Jesus would arrive in certain areas and all of a sudden these crowds would come around, even the disciples themselves were like, Jesus, we're wicked tired. There's too many people. Let's just go rest and get this crowd away. And Jesus was like, no. He said, I have compassion on these people. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They need me. And he would look at them intently with compassion and with love and with grace and with mercy. And now that Jesus has resurrected and ascended, guess what Peter and John are doing? They're not just walking by people thinking they're high and mighty and they're these apostles and they think, you know what, we're the, we're the best, you serve us. No, they look at people intently. They direct their gaze at them with grace and Love and mercy. Isn't it amazing when you can have a conversation with someone with eye contact? I don't think that we do that enough today. It's amazing how many people I meet that, that can't even look me in the eye. That is a vital aspect of what Jesus has done for us. He has looked directly at us intently to give us hope and to give us life. And we get to do the same thing. So he looked at them intently. And so this guy uh, looks up. He, most likely he's looking at the ground, obviously, which is a normal posture for a beggar. They don't really look up. They, they say, look at us. And he said, and so he looks up, expecting money, but instead he's giving something of greater value. This is, listen, this is not an excuse to not tip your waitress and just give her a track, okay? Or give your waiter a track, all right? I've heard people say that, like, oh, they don't need money. They just need Jesus. No, they need to be tipped, all right? And so listen, they promise him or give him something of greater value in life. He's given hope. And here's why he's given hope. Because Peter says, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. This guy's over 40 years old at this point. Can you imagine how many times maybe someone has tried to heal him miraculously and it didn't work? Can you imagine as a child, children are ruthless. Can you imagine being bullied as a kid? Probably, I would assume. Can you imagine his whole life? He's at this point where he's probably accepted the fact that he's never going to walk in life. And yet here is Peter saying, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. This guy has a choice right now. He can either laugh it off and say, yeah, right, people have tried, thanks a lot, I'd rather take the money. Or he can have faith in the one who is named, or he can have faith in Jesus Christ the Nazarene, and walk. So what does he do? 
Acts 3, 7 through 8. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people, God, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. Recognizing the faith that this man had, Peter says, uh, he gives him a right hand, basically, the right hand up, and he helps him up. And as he's helping him up, miraculously, his feet and his ankles and his legs were instantly healed. Like the bones in his feet found the right places, the ligaments in his ankles all figured it out, uh, the sinews all around the feet were put in place, the muscles in his legs in which he didn't have because he has never walked in his life, all of a sudden grew and became strong to be able to support his body. All in one fell swoop, this is happening, don't miss that. We can read over that and say, oh, that's super cool, but, but think about it. In one moment, all of this, the, everything that was just broken, everything that was out of place, everything that wasn't working was restored supernaturally. Supernaturally, in one fell swoop, he began to walk for the first time in 40 years. And then his walking turned into leaping. He probably found the first basketball hoop and tried to dunk. Like, like he, he started leaping. Can you, I just picture this guy just jumping around, just like figuring that out in that moment. This is my new life. Walking to leaping and then leaping leads to What? Praising God. Praising God. He was, he was praising God for three reasons. Obviously, he was praising God for his physical healing, so I'm not going to really talk about that. But, but I think this was deeper than this. I don't think Luke would have shared this story if it wasn't a deeper praise than just like, a, oh my word, I can walk now. Most likely, this guy was praising God, not only because he could walk now, but he was also praising God for God's presence that God knew his situation, that God was right there with him, and that God was willing to restore his physical body in that moment. He was praising God for his presence. Also, he was most likely praising God for his power because only the God of the universe could supernaturally come in and create these legs that don't work and make them work again and be restored. It's only by the power of God in which this is happening. And then, of course, the last thing he's most likely praising God for is his new life. No longer does he have to be picked up and put at the beautiful gate every day. He can go work. No longer does he have to go around town begging for money. No longer does he have to do what he's done his entire life. In a moment, his life has been transformed, and he has new life through Christ. He was praising God. But he's faced with another choice in this moment. He could have just sprinted away from Peter and John, said thank you, you know, give him some deuces and just out. But instead, where does he go? He went into the temple praising God. He went into the temple. He went to the source of where this miracle 
has taken place. And as he was walking in, look what happens next, 10, 10 through 11, when they realized he was the lame beggar. So this is everybody, all right? So, so listen, every, if he went there every day for 40 years, everybody knows this guy. And why don't we know his name? That frustrates me. Uh, so when they realized he was the lame beggar, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So not only was he just praising God, but he's also just like hugging them, standing next to them, like, hey, check it, check it out. Like, I can, I can walk now. He's in there praising God. It's really important to note this fact. Like, now there's an opportunity here. Now there's an opportunity for Peter and John to witness to the crowd. And so look what happens next. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. That's so important to know here. So many of us, and I myself included, miss opportunities, don't we? Where God puts an opportunity right in front of us and we fail to see it or else we don't have enough courage or boldness or zeal to really step up and do something. But yet Peter saw his opportunity and he took it. And he says, people of Israel, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us like as though we, we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our, all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. They're witnesses of what? The resurrection. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before you. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Peter recognized this opportunity, and many people were looking at Peter and John and saying, wow, you guys are amazing. But of course, right away, Peter deflects that, and he says, listen, it's not our power, it's not our piety, it's not our godliness, it's not who we are. This man is walking because of Jesus. The resurrected Christ, they're walking because Jesus walked out of the grave. Do you see that? He's putting power to where the power is due, and it's not to himself. It's for God's glory and for the sake of others. What's amazing here is from this point on in Acts, by the way, when you see a miracle, you're always going to see it coupled with the message of the gospel, Nowhere are you going to find a miracle that it's just like, oh, this really cool thing happened, and then move on in the story. It's usually a miracle, and either right before or right after, you're going to see the gospel message presented in a very clear way. The message that Jesus Christ has resurrected in power and in victory over your sin and over my sin. It's always connected to the resurrected Jesus, because this is who miracles are pointing to. The physical healings in Acts point to a greater spiritual healing that is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And more than that, it also points to our ultimate redemption, our ultimate restoration that God has promised to us. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, we, want, we modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order. 
The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. The world we all want is coming. And I missed that line, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. That's what miracles are for. It's this idea of a restoration of the natural order in which God created the world. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything, and it was good. There weren't any lame beggars at that point. There weren't, there weren't disease. There weren't any of that. So, so when these miracles happen, it's a restoration of what will be of God's promise to you and to me. This miracle and the miracles that are following in Acts is a signpost to the spiritual restoration that's available through Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's through Jesus that we can experience this miracle of redemption and this miracle of restoration. That's what miracles are. They're signposts that point to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is resurrected. And so two things I want to just focus on today or consider as we close. First, our greatest needs have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ alone. The guy sitting at the beautiful gates had a lot of needs, physical needs, monetary needs. But he also had another need, a spiritual need. That is the same need that you and I have today. We're no different from this lame beggar. That lame beggar needed to hear the message of Jesus Christ. That lame beggar through faith in Christ was healed in that moment. That's a foreshadowing or a picture of our spiritual healing when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. In, in a moment, instantly, through Jesus and Jesus alone, our lives are put back together instantly. We are given hope, we're given love, we're given compassion, grace, mercy, and we are given just ultimately this promise of restoration. Our greatest needs have been fulfilled through Jesus. And then lastly, why does Jesus do this? Does he just do it for our own sakes? We can't go on our own way and live our own lives doing our own thing? No. When we become a miracle ourselves, because listen, that's what happens like, it's a miracle that me, a sinner, has been saved by grace through faith. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that you have been saved by grace through faith. Like, that's a miracle. So when we place our faith in Christ, we become a miracle ourselves. And when we become a miracle ourselves, we get to be the miracle someone's looking for. Peter took two chances here. He, he took advantage of two opportunities. First, he looked intently at the beggar, and he helped him up, didn't he? He took an opportunity there, and that opportunity led to his next opportunity where he shared the gospel with a bunch of people. And you know what we read in Acts 4, 4, 4? Many people heard and believed. And we're told that the church was reaching thousands, 5,000 men at that point. From Acts 2, where there was uh, 3,000 added, to Acts, Acts 4, we see now it's up to 5,000 added because of that miracle, because of that healing. You see, Peter was the miracle someone was looking for. He shared that with that guy, and now that guy has new life in Christ, and those people now have new life in Christ. So you've got to ask the question, who, 
who do you get to be a miracle for? What opportunities are you taking in your life to point people to Jesus? Because that's what miracles do. It's not ourselves, it's to Jesus. And so listen, I want to challenge all of us today. Understand that our greatest need is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then be the miracle someone's looking for in your life. Give them what they desperately need. Give them Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy today. This story of the lame beggar, Lord, I cannot wait to figure out his name when I'm with you. This guy who had his life figured out had no hope, and yet through you and through his faith in Christ, Lord, he was transformed in a moment and given new life by your presence and by your power. Lord, I pray that we would feel that in our lives today spiritually. Through your presence and your power in our life, we have been given new life so that we can be a, a witness and that we can take advantage of those opportunities you put us in. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the zeal to just speak your name in this world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a happy Mother's Day, and hopefully we'll see you back next weekend. You're dismissed.